0: Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast, where the best PD happens in your own backyard. Today, we have the man who can win friends with salad, Christopher Paulson.
1: I have to tell you, if I'm the guy who can win friends with salad, you're the whole salad bar.
0: Oh man, with the bacon bits and everything, you're too kind. You're too kind.
1: Multiple types of dressing.
0: Oh I only go for the olive and uh, oil. Uh, <laughs> olive oil, I guess. Vito McKenzie on this and Salad Bar, who's kind of depressing right now with one kind of dressing. Chris, how are we doing this week?
1: Hey, doing really good. Jump back into it. Uh, at time of recording, we jumped back into being in the class. We had our convention break. I really am finding that uh, being at the school right now has been a very uplifting experience. How are you doing, buddy? How are you
0: doing? Oh, well, I just so wrapped up in what was going on in your end being back in the classroom, I, you know, I, I I made my bid to be back in the classroom again next year. You know, uh, this is the time of staffing and looking at next year and numbers and well, virtual teaching has had uh, quite the experience this year. I won't be continuing with it. But you don't like the, you
1: don't like the Tetrasta monsters?
0: Yeah, the is uh, the on that note, we are finishing one this Thursday and starting the next one on Friday, and our government well, has gotten year. rid of March break as well, so we're going right on to through to April. Uh, so it's... Uh, it's 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 exhausting, and what what sucks is that you know I you spend a month and you've developed this relationship with these students, and you get them to a point where everyone's comfortable with each other, everyone's having fun, and I'm in a great class right now, everyone's into it, and then just as we hit that rhythm, boom, we're, we're done. Yeah. So so it's uh it's it's been a it's been a good week um, all around. It's just. Frustrating and tiring to constantly start and stop again, start and stop, start and stop, and and uh, of course also being in the middle of a global pandemic. You know? uh, never fun. Never fun. Never fun. Never fun. Yeah, at least I can put that in my resume, right? Hey, taught in a global pandemic. But anyway, Chris, enough about us. Like, hey, like, 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 we have gone on enough.
1: We got a special guest tonight.
0: Oh, we do. Oh, we, we do. And and this special guest means something to uh, both of us as well. Kind of a connection there. Why don't you? Why don't you introduce the guest tonight, Chris?
1: Let me tell you, we got, we got Ron Scott tonight. We got Ron Scott. And then let me tell you a little something about Ron Scott. Uh, Ron Scott, born in B.C., uh, he, he became a teacher, uh, jumped into teaching, uh, and, and where he really found his niche uh, was in, in tech and digital arts and photography and digital media. But he didn't just stop at that classroom. This is a gentleman who's taught like high school social studies and other and other courses and infused so much of his tech and digital uh, literacy prowess into what he was doing that I can remember being in like uh, professional learning groups with him and he being like I have this awesome document that they can fill out online and it satisfies this curriculum so they don't have to do it with paper and then it's got links in it to take them to all the and i'm just like i don't even know what page of the textbook we're supposed to be on and this guy's like light years beyond and i think we're so lucky to have him tonight and to be able to chat with him welcome to the show ron scott
2: welcome Thank you, gentlemen. You made me sound way cooler than I actually oh, no, like. You're
0: totally cool. And, and, totally and Chris, cool. Chris also didn't mention that Ron is also the gentleman who designed the cover for Transforming the Heart for us. Yes. He was our cover designer. Oh. So uh, thank you yeah. very much yeah. for that, Ron. Ron
2: Scott. I, you're welcome. That was awesome. Check
0: him out. The information's on the inside of that cover when you buy our book because we're not promoting that or anything shamelessly. <laughs> available on Amazon.com and <laughs> <laughs> And chapters and everywhere else. Okay, yep. anyway. So, Ron, welcome to the show. You know, it, it's honestly a pleasure to have you here, and we are really excited to tackle this this particular topic of your passion and your love. And while your teaching has led you into the digital age, let's start right from the beginning. And please, tell us your story and what brought you into the teaching profession.
2: Ooh, this is a long story, and it actually goes back about 30 years. Um, if that's not aging myself, I don't know what is, but way back in the day in uh grade five i had a teacher and he was related to all the sutter brother hockey players and it was the first time that i realized that education was more than just you know sitting in a classroom doing your language arts your math your science um this one particular teacher went out of his way to bring in his passion for music um it was the dire straits nice. back then so part of our language arts unit was listening to like money for nothing and uh Uh, Walk of Life was another one. So it was pretty cool. And then he also was because I'm guessing his cousins were involved in hockey. um, He had a passion for hockey as well. So I remember when we had school carnivals and stuff, he always had like raffles for packs of hockey cards. Um, But the big thing, it was really cool, and he'd always throw in like one that was worth like, you know, 20, 50 bucks in there. So it was like you knew that there was something good in there. But what really did it for me is he showed me that, you know, teaching was more than just, again, subjects. And he had an after school floor hockey program, and he knew that I was interested in hockey. I played ice hockey at the time. But growing up, my parents had one vehicle, and I took the bus to school. And he actually went out of his way to arrange with my parents without even discussing me alternative transportation so that I could join this after school ball hockey club that he ran. And that was just like one of the most amazing things. Like, obviously, it influenced my whole life. So in grade five, I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to be a teacher. And that kind of sparked it. But then it kind of sat on the back burner for a while. And then when I went to high school, I went to a new building in grade 11. It was a brand new high school in our city in Mission, B.C. And they had courses that I didn't even sign up for didn't even know existed. So just by, you know, scheduling, I got put in TV and video production and I got put in electronic layout and publishing and photography and all these types of cool media courses. And at first I wanted to transfer out of them, but there was no room. So I stuck with it. And so through my high school career, I kind of shifted and wanted to go into like film special effects and stuff like that. But, you know, I was a typical student and didn't ask for extra help and my math scores weren't as good as they should be. So it's
1: always the math. It's always the it, math. It's
2: always the math. And the thing is in like computer programming, they said that you needed to have a score of, you know, like an eighty percent or higher from the previous grade. I was getting like fifties in math. I never failed math, but I was getting pretty low, but I was getting like a hundred and thirteen percent in computer sciences because it's different. It's more logical thinking. It's not doing quadratic equations or anything like that. So then high school came along and I did that. And then the end of high school, I started working at McDonald's and this is going to get really personal, but, um, I ended up meeting my future wife working at McDonald's. And so we started dating and just so happens that her dream was to go to the university of Victoria and become a teacher. So I'd been working in mills and warehouses and odd jobs after high school and after McDonald's. And I finally realized that, Hey, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I wanted to be a teacher And I realized that I could do all those cool things that I did in high school as a teacher. So I decided to go back to school. And I started going to a local community college, University of the Fraser Valley, got my first degree. Back then, you had to do a four-year undergrad and then do a one-year Bachelor of Education. So then I went to Simon Fraser University, got my Bachelor of Education, but I actually trained elementary school. And my goal of training elementary school is I wanted to teach art and PE and science and math and do all those really cool, fun, creative things in those subjects. And then both in Fort McMurray where I worked for seven years and now in Grand Prairie where I've worked for six years, my education career led me to high school. So in Fort McMurray, I was enticed by going to the high school and having the opportunity to just teach graphic arts and photography, um, which was really, really cool. And then when, you know, districts found out that I have this technology background and that I'm elementary trained, which I guess sometimes is seen as more creative. In both instances, I was offered positions at high schools to teach social studies because I have a history degree as my first degree and infuse these subjects with kind of some of my elementary strategies as well as technology. So it's a long path, but that's how I got there.
0: That's a wonderful, and wild story, and, and really appreciate that. And I like how you were talking about how it's the melding of all your different talents and skills put together, and you even included a love story with your wife. Like your story had everything, to be honest. <laughs> it did. <laughs> <laughs> now it going did. back to your grade five teacher, like I just I'm I'm fascinated by that story that he made alternate arrangements for you to be part of that the floor hockey there. First of all, just the idea that a teacher could have done that at that time, you know, blows our minds right now. Um, is there anything that still kind of comes out f- for you in the classroom when, when you think about that teacher? Is there anything that has influenced your own teaching style for, from that?
2: I think just like the bringing in of your own interests into the classroom. So I bring in technology when I was teaching grade six of the first year I moved to Grand Prairie, I brought in my own photography equipment so that in art we could do a photography unit. And I think that when the students see your passion for something, they jump on board and they get excited. And now in this district, now that I've taught grade six here, but moved to the high school, I actually run into some of the students that I used to teach. And my wife's also a teacher at the same high school right now. And she'll have students that I used to teach and they'll still bring up the different things that we did in class. And so I think that's where I got it from. I got it from him bringing in these, you know, extracurricular ideas just to student engagement, right? That's what's always talked about. How can we engage students? How can we make, you know, school enjoyable and not this dreaded? Oh, no, I have to come and write an essay. So I think that's what I got from him.
1: And you're hitting on a lot of things that we've talked about, and so many of our guests have actually talked about, in that when you're teaching in your classroom, you're Ron Scott. You're not, okay, I have to put on a totally different mask, and I am now like what we call TeachBot 2000 you know so much of you is there just in everything like your sense of humor or the things that you are passionate about and everything is just so infused with that that they know they're you know your students know that a human being is teaching them not just absolutely. a curriculum
2: robot absolutely you guys want to hear a sad end to that story though i, do. I don't
0: know i don't know if i can handle it but go ahead
2: <laughs> I don't know. So... For dear life,
0: here. <laughs> let me get my tissues
2: So in order to go to university, I had to wait four years after high school and apply as a mature student just because of my parents' financial information. So four years after high school, I'm now 22. I did my first degree. It took me five years. So now I'm 27, do the math. And then I'm going back and I'm doing my 27. I'm going back and doing my ed degree. So I'm a mature student. I don't think I could have done it if I was younger. I was way too immature. But I ended up getting the opportunity to do my practicums in my hometown where I grew up and went to school. And I walked into my first placement school to do my practicum, and I heard a voice. Guess whose voice? It was the teacher. The teacher. It was the grade five teacher. And so it was kind of like full circle. I got to go up to him and introduce myself, and he remembered who I was, which is crazy because this is grade five to 27 years old, 17 years, right? Like, I can't remember students I taught three years ago. I'm really bad with names and remembering things. But the sad part of the story is he looked me square in the face and said, you know what? If I was to do it all over again, I wouldn't have gone into teaching. And I was like, Whoa. what? Whoa!" <laughs> My whole, you know, picture and mind was blown. But yeah. And
1: he, but It's interesting though, because he's at this point where he's like, I don't think I would have done it. And yet he still had this huge influence on you. And if he had that influence on you, it's fair to say he probably had that huge influence on other people too. So I think that's, you know, even though he might've been out of course, done. The influence was still there. The passion was still there. For other people, they say, never meet
0: your idol, right? <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I would love to find out more about w- what kind of got him to that point. But we get him on the show too. That's another here and there at this point. <laughs> this is the Ron Scott show, right? Yeah, now. Ron Scott. <laughs> uh, but that's, no, I, I feel totally... you on starting education much later as a mature student. I also went that path and kind of conned my way into university. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, let's jump right into the digital arts and media component of your of your teaching. Can you can you bring us through yeah. what a course like that looks like, and what are students going to be learning, and what type of technology will they get the chance to get their hands on? Because when I did ComTech in high school, like we were looking at early Cisco routers and and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. But what what's it looking like today?
2: It's uh, different depending on the school. So when I was in Fort McMurray, I was fortunate to teach. I had classes just based on Adobe Photoshop. So we learned like either photo manipulation or painting and drawing, which was really cool. I had standalone photography classes so we could go through and you know work as a class and figure out different techniques. Coming to Grand Prairie, they came up with this idea that actually it's my own fault. We presented it, it just didn't get implemented the way that we wanted to, where we said, what if we took all these technology courses and put them together into one class. And there was myself and another teacher. I'm a lot more of the art side of it. And the other teacher is a lot more of the technical side and said, if we were teaching them side by side in the same room, you could just like logistically schedule students any block of the day, they could take our courses. And then if they had questions that were more art side, they could come and talk to me. And if they had questions that were more, excuse me, technical side, they could go talk to the other teacher. And the principals just heard great we can schedule students anytime and then created this class but didn't schedule us at the same time which turn, turned out to be an interesting scenario so right now we have something called open tech studies and literally anything that you can think about doing on a computer you have the opportunity to do in this class so i kind of talk about two different areas like i said it's kind of the art side and the technology side so in digital art you can do photography videography Photoshop, animation, web design, electronic layout and publishing, work with vector graphics for like logos and that type of thing. And then on the technology side, we have things like 2D design or CAD so they can start doing schematics and get into like drafting or landscape design. We have 3D design so they can start doing 3D modeling. We have 3D printers. we have a lot of students right now doing programming and they're all jumping in. When I was in school, kind of like you said, we use Turbo mm-hmm. Pascal 7, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody learned on, and that's that was programming. But now students kind of come in with a preference, and there's so many web-based compilers that they can kind of do what they want. So I have students working in Python. I have students using um, Scratch, which is kind of like the block coding, where you use like Lego blocks to build your code. And it was designed by somebody at MIT. So that's really cool because it's more visual for those types of learners. We have robotics which is really cool because it mixes like lego and construction building type stuff with programming so we have a lot of different software which we're lucky enough that our school both in fort mcmurray and in grand prairie supplies so we have the whole adobe suite of programs so if you want to do like i said photo editing or photoshop or icon design or layout and publishing for magazines um, web design we have all the stuff to do that and then we have like I said, 3D printer. We have cameras. We have a plotter printer that prints 24 inches by pretty wow. much as long as you want. We have a bunch of cameras. And because that's kind of my area, um, every time I go to a new school, I'm like, so what's the budget? And so I just got them to spend a bunch of money to get different types of lenses and to get a full frame camera. And I pass it off as, Hey, when COVID's over and sports are back up, we're going to need this camera to you know, take pictures in the gym and that we need this special lens. That's like $1,700 to go with that. And I don't know how but i got approved so the students have the opportunity to do just about anything with computers which is really really cool
0: that's
1: amazing and yeah that just was like the, he, he opened the scroll and it just
2: felt.
0: Like, here we go like, uh,
2: <laughs> oh i could keep going It's it so, is crazy
0: just yeah. do, are they just kind of learning out as they go or are they doing project-based work or what how, how does the format work for them
2: so some students come in and they get a little overwhelmed because there are so many options. Something I didn't mention is they can even literally do like PowerPoints and Microsoft Word and, you know, earn credits for that. So it is the whole gamut. What I've done this time is I've split it up into different categories. So there is the design section. There is the robotic section. There is the computer programming section and kind of laid out pathways. And that's what Alberta education calls it. There's different pathways that they can take to try and demonstrate for them but I'm also somebody who really likes to give people freedom to choose and do what they want. But that's a double-edged sword because some students will run with that and other students, it's too much mm-hmm. power, I guess. So with very power I was comes just, your responsibility. Yeah, just waiting for <laughs> you come. Um, so for a lot of the, especially the introductory units, because a lot of things build off of one another, I have like potential assignments that they can do so that they're not too overwhelmed. So I'm like, here, you can look at this and see if this is something that you're interested in. Or you can actually look at the curriculum and we sit down and look at it together and we come up with a plan of what can you do to meet their curriculum. And that's where students, especially once they get one or two projects under their belt, can really take off and say, this is something I'm really, really interested in. Like I have a student right now who wants to do a composite photo shoot of a really cool pair of basketball shoes, but they want to take a picture of them and then make it look like they're floating. And then they want to wrap them in cellophane and splash them with different colored liquids. And then using Photoshop, put the floating shoes with the liquids all together and make basically like an advertising campaign for this pair of shoes. And I'm like, that's amazing. However, it's freezing cold and snowing outside and we can't do it in the classroom. Can you wait until, you know, luckily we have going into the spring and that student's really pumped. And now that's an idea on the back burner that is completely fleshed out and ready to go, and she's just waiting to do so it. So
1: there's a lot cool of uh, there's a lot of one-on-one teaching and guidance going on in these classrooms. It's not necessarily, "Hey, Mr. Scott's at the front of the class, and I'm giving the lesson." It's for every single one of these students, I'm giving individualized programming, individualized mentorship, individualized guidance. That has to be, I'm thinking about the the plan book. Um, it's, that's, gotta, there's gotta so there be, no, you have book. to be, I, I just think about the organization yeah. that you have to have. That's, that's, that's out yeah. there,
2: man. So one of the ways that I do it is for things that I know, and I've been doing this now, like I did four years in Fort McMurray analysis, five years here working with this type of stuff where I have dedicated classes to um, digital technologies is I've seen some kind of the, hurdles or things that students need to learn in order to be able to do stuff so i have like mini lessons on photoshop and small projects to get them going i have mini lessons on illustrator like i said i have a bunch of projects with tutorials for programming and robotics and that type of thing so hopefully they start out baby steps and then it is like time flies during this class because it's kind of like a math teacher right you set the kids up to go and you just move your way around the room and you're just having conversation after conversation and you just keep going. And then all of a sudden you look up and there's five minutes left in class. and You're like, oh, no, you guys need to clean up and put the materials away. And we need to sanitize and chairs and everything else. Right. So it's amazing how fast the class goes. But because it's something that I enjoy, it doesn't feel like work. Like when I used to just do photography in Fort McMurray, it was like, what am I going to do? Like, what's going to be fun today? And I remember one week we had a student who saw something online. She's like, I saw this thing where they were like dropping stuff in a fish tank and taking high speed photos of things splashing. Could we do that? I was like, absolutely. So I put like an announcement out. Anybody have a fish tank that we can use? I brought in my own studio lights because you need certain lights to be able to do that. And we spent a week just throwing stuff in water and taking pictures. And it was a blast. And like, it uh, you know, feel like. And, work, and what I love awesome.
0: and what I'm hearing as well is that you have completely shattered the traditional norms of education that people have in their head. Like I know like if, for instance, language arts or English. If you want to claw out of that standard norm, you have to write essays and do literary analysis. You you are clawing out of a lot of sacred cows of teaching in English, and you have to fight a lot just to get an inch uh, to to do something different. But you you your this class, these classes you're running, are really like where education should be. Like I saw something I'm interested. How do we do that? that that's learning right there. I'm I'm pretty pumped because like I wanted to learn the basics of InDesign for my own. Personal growth, and it's fifteen, sixteen hours on the side, and everything else going on. Your students can go in class and be like, "I'm going to learn it now."
2: Absolutely, and it's funny that you say that because, like, um, one of the reasons why I got moved to the high school in Grand Prairie is they started doing high school redesign, which is you know Alberta Education mandated that high schools start doing high school redesign, and we now have this system called a Pod system where you start in grade 10 with a group of students. And so I teach them social studies and then you move up with them into grade 11. And then in grade 12, they go back to semester because there's so many choices and graduation requirements, but most of the students you teach again. So uh, being able to do this type of thing, as well as have you know the same students moving along, you can build those relationships and do those things. And students are a lot more likely to ask you, hey, can I try this? So one of the things bringing it into other courses I have a lot of students who, instead of you know writing an essay, will do a creative project, and I always give creative options for my projects um but it's funny when I first started the high school in Grand Prairie a lot of the traditional teachers came up to me and said, oh, you're starting in grade 10. You need to have them write this type of essay. You need to do it this many times. They need to practice it before grade 12. And I, I'm like, no, I don't care about the diploma exam, right? Um, BC, where I'm from, they got rid of government exams. So, you know, we don't think about those anymore.
0: Ron but. Scott said no. This is phenomenal. I'm vibing, Chris. I'm like, I'm loving you this. You gotta
1: have vibes. This is a gentleman here who is, is doing one-on-one learning in whole classes. This is, he's doing like guided, mentorship-based learning for personal self-directed learners. And that's mind-blowing to me.
0: This is this has been the unapologetic podcast. <laughs> okay, so Ron, you've also taught social studies and other courses at different levels. Uh, how do you apply your technology and digital components to courses that aren't specifically about the digital and technological aspects of learning? So how, how do you apply what you're doing in this classroom to other classes? Because uh, I'm sure teachers would love to hear about that.
2: For sure. Um, there's several different things I do. I think the most straightforward is using assistive technologies we have so many students with so many needs nowadays that finding ways to make learning easier for them is huge and technology hopefully will you know fit that as long as it's working so even things as simple as when i'm teaching my social studies courses if we're using the textbook which i like to stay away from but as you get to grade 12 you need to focus on a little bit. I teach them things like if you have a digital copy of the textbook using controller or command F to bring up the find window where they can type in a keyword or a person or something that they're looking for and it goes right to the exact page that they're looking for. And teaching them those strategies as they go into post-secondary education can save them so much time or depending on your district, we use all the Google suite of apps and our districts um, also install Google Read and Write. So having things that can read to the students you can change the voice you can change the speed it can repeat over and over and over again or they can dictate to write an essay they don't have to be you know the world's best uh, typing to actually get their work done so that's one way they're bringing it in another one as i mentioned earlier is i really like to give choice and project again when i was in school i hated that you had to do this that was really interesting when i was teaching grade six in grand prairie my first art project that I did, all the students handed them in and they were all the exact same. They all looked like the model, the exemplar that I used and demonstrated. And so we had a huge discussion about this is art. There should be some self-expression. There should be some creativity involved in it. So the next assignment we did, not two projects look the same. One of the things I like to do is give choice um so and not just you know slide presentations and not just a poster so we change it and we do an infographic and we use a website like canva where they have um, templates for infographics and we talk about what is an infographic why are they so important is to grab somebody's attention is to give them the most pertinent information we've used minecraft which is a very popular video game so if we're doing anything geography related Or um, one of the things I do is um, in a lot of social studies, we talk about things like the Holocaust. And so one of the projects I do is a memorial project where they have to create a memorial. And I've had students use Minecraft to create kind of a more life-size version. Like if they wanted to build architecture or some sort of monument, they could do it in Minecraft because obviously they can't build it in real life. Offering students to do videos and teaching them actually how to record a video, use green screen, edit a video, Um, So we've had students do like Bill Nye, the Science Guy videos, but for social studies. So those are Mm -hmm. some of the things. However, it's changing over time, which is kind of difficult for a lot of teachers because when, you know, five, ten years ago, it was MacBooks and iPads that were really big in schools, even though they're expensive. And those, you know, had video capability on them, editing capability on them. And now we're going to Chromebooks, which, you know, are really great for schools. It's a cost effective um, way to get technology into students' hands but it doesn't have all the same capability and the same power to do some of those cool projects that we were doing in the past.
1: I really like what you're saying about choice. I've actually, when I give an assignment, I don't even say how it's to be presented to me anymore. I say, you could do this, 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 or this, or you could do anything at all. Um, There's the, this is what I want you to show what you know, but there's absolutely nothing to say how it has to be done. So I really like what you're saying. And I agree, the Chromebooks, it's that double-edged sword, isn't it? Because being able to put a Chromebook in the hand of an entire class in a cost-effective way is amazing, but you're right in terms of those powerful capabilities that you need for really, really squeezing the
2: cheese out of that digital stuff, not quite there. Absolutely, In the first high school I taught in Grand Prairie, they still, had a computer lab that you could sign out and go and do all, it had all the Adobe software and everything on it, which was nice. But this new school I'm at, it was just built like four years ago. Um, and I just moved there this year. We don't have a computer lab at all. Mm-hmm. So it's just Chromebooks.
0: I-, I love how we're talking about, you know, give, give the power to the students and. and...
1: Well, that's, that's it. Fede, that's exactly yeah. it. That's the whole, it's, you, you articulated that
2: perfectly. Of course you did. Your you know, what's funny though, <laughs> is when, when I started this, um, I still had students when we did, first did the pod, so this is five years ago, they would still ask, can, can I just do a multiple choice test or can I just do an essay? They felt really uncomfortable at first, but I think now with the generations coming up and seeing more teachers doing this, that they're kind of getting a handle on, oh, I can do something. So that's different. not happening? You're not getting that question as much? No. I actually really had scary. a student that's really last scary. year. We were doing um, like a Rick Mercer style rant, and that was kind of like the pre that I showed, and they could do it in any way, shape, or form. He ended up writing his own song. He went home and played it acoustically on the guitar and recorded himself and handed in the video. And it was one of the most amazing things that I've had a student do. It was, and it was all his decision, his interest. Again, kind of like I was talking about earlier, bringing your interest in the classroom. This is giving students the power to use their own interests, what
0: they're doing oh that's that's phenomenal and and i you know i took chris's idea too of give the students the choice of how they want to present so I, I know how well it works even in things like when you're looking at movies I, I no longer say we're watching this movie i give a choice of movies and then give them access to a streaming platform so they could watch what they want um Fun. in terms Love of it done. Uh, but uh, that's awesome but yeah. let, let's take this thread a little bit further because we we often relegate the teaching of literacy to our language arts or english classrooms and yet your classrooms are set up for teaching digital literacy which to be honest is literacy just literacy can you speak how your students are building those skills in your classroom
2: yeah it's uh, kind of interesting because there's two kind of things with digital literacy that they're learning so the first one is like the literacy that we're used to literacy numeracy language Um, so with all the different choices and projects that they're doing, especially in the open tech class, they have to learn the literacy of what they're doing. So if you're doing photography, you need to learn the vocabulary um, that goes along with that. If you're doing programming, you have to learn the vocabulary and the syntax. How do you put that vocabulary together in order to get a response from what you're doing? So there's a ton of literacy involved. And again, I don't know if this is because of my elementary training, but one of the things we're taught in elementary school is something called balanced literacy where you're supposed to be teaching literacy skills across all the subjects. It doesn't matter if it's math, science, language, arts, learning literacy and reading and understanding is universal. Um, So that comes across in this computer course. And then the other part of it is if you're talking the whole idea of digital literacy, so the creativity and the innovation using the technology, the communication and collaboration um, between people, research and information fluency, critical thinking, problem solving, decision making, and a big one nowadays is digital citizenship. Mm -hmm. So what are the rights and responsibilities, the participation, the norms and behaviors and etiquette with using this digital technology? So even at the beginning of this session, Chris talked about how he had to ask our permission to record us. That's something that students need to learn, um, especially again, photography, videography student, you can't just walk around a school and take pictures of anybody you want in any kind of compromising or embarrassing situation, you have to ask permission ahead of time. So there's the actual language literacy of the program, but there's also that digital literacy and how do you use this and respect it um, side of it as well.
0: This is the world that they're in right now because people assume because I have a camera in my pocket at all times that, and you're in public, therefore you're a public performance. I can just do whatever I feel like.
2: It's interesting too, coming from the photography point of view is in countries like Canada, technically in public spaces, which schools aren't public spaces, but if you go outside, you can take pictures of anybody and I can sell them privately. The only thing I can't do is I can't use them commercially. But then if I went to another country, different countries have different rules on that. There's some countries where you can't take pictures of women, or there's some countries where you can't take pictures picture of somebody unless you ask permission. So again, it's that whole digital literacy. What am I allowed to do? What are the norms of what you're doing? And
1: I think that picks
2: up on kind of a professional literacy too for those particular fields,
1: because inevitably some of these students who are passionate about these things are going to go and study, take it further, and maybe turn it into their career. If they get you know, working for a film or working somewhere and they have to go on site in a different country and, and they don't take into account that stuff,
2: that can really come back to bite them. Absolutely. Um, funny story or not funny story. I had a student when I first started the high school in Grand Prairie and she came up to me and she said she's a photographer. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And, you know, show me some of her pictures. And she's like, yeah, I take pictures of weddings. And I was like, you're in grade 12 and you're a wedding photographer. And I was expecting, you know, like cousin's wedding with like a point and shoot camera. And she pulled up her portfolio and she takes better pictures of weddings than I think I could ever take in my life. Amazing. And that's what she does full time now. So exactly these students who are passionate are going through and making careers out of these programs. And that's, you know, one of the things I tell my students coming into these programs is that these are skills that you're probably going to use for the rest of your life photography, I say, you're going to either travel, have a pet or have a kid one day, and you're going to want to be able to take really good pictures of them. And even if you take some of the, you know, things you've learned from this class, you're going to take better iPhone pictures of them. Or, you know, if you learn Photoshop, you can use that. So I show them examples of every year in Halloween, my kids get dressed up, but I Photoshop them into, you know, different backgrounds. Or my son had a Star Wars birthday party and I lit up his lightsaber and things like that. So I'm like, these are things that you can take with you. And then... I even say that for photography, I'd even do it as a side business. So this is something that you could have as a skill that you could earn money with. Everybody, it seems nowadays, is looking for a side hustle. So these are skills that are transferable to your life.
0: So, I mean, you've been talking about it nonstop and we've been inferring it, but what what do you see as the value of adding technology and a digital component to young people's education?
2: Oh, it's uh, like I said... Um, getting the buy-in, getting them interested in something, um, giving them, you know, agency in their own learning. I think technology is where, you know, things are going nowadays. You look at the big people like Elon Musk and all the things that he's doing. And like I said, these are skills that students can take into their lives. And one of the things that always makes me chuckle is coming into education. Anytime you do PD, there's always somebody that says, well, students know more about technology than we do. So just, you know, let them figure it out. And, well, maybe some things like social media, they're savants at, but when it comes to, you know, creating something or making something for business or even, you know, attaching something to an email, they don't use those skills all the time. So these are skills that they need to be taught um, as simple as, you know, when they first start on Photoshop, they download a picture from the Internet and they'll just throw it into Photoshop, but it could be you know one inch by one inch and they don't know that. So just the whole idea of you need to think about your document size before you create something, because what if somebody wants to you know, make a poster out of this? Well, you can't enlarge it that size. So there's just so many components to things that they're learning. And even just at the core, there's one module that's called the design process. And I love this one for students because the module you can literally do anything you want As long as you follow the design process, which is you come up with a problem, you research the problem, you come up with some plans and an idea for a solution. It's almost like a science experiment, right? You come up with your hypothesis. What can I do to do it? And then you actually create something and then you end up with a finished product. And that is just a strategy that they can use in life. And it
1: seems to me with that as well is you're not teaching about technology in a discipline it's you're guiding through the process of actually using technology and digital tools to support the learning. It's it's not learning
2: about; it's the process of. Absolutely, I like that. I never thought about it in that way.
0: So you you. Hit the nail on the head there with, you know, students are savants with social media and gaming and whatnot and finding ways around your firewalls at school. In terms of educators as well, like, uh, what's the value then in taking advantage of these technological and digital worlds in in our teaching?
2: Absolutely. It's interesting to see because I'm in a weird, I'm kind of the middle age group in education now. There's people way younger than me and people way older than me still. And so you see kind of the new people coming in and what they're doing and you see the people that are kind of still holding on for the last couple of years, still doing what they did 20 years ago. So I, th- I feel like there's a lot of value in accepting technology and a lot of districts are kind of pushing it onto people. Um, but big one for me is organization. I don't have a filing cabinet. I don't have to look for that, you know, one sheet to go photocopy. If we're out on isolation because of COVID, I have everything at my fingertips on you know Google Drive that I can share with people or send to a substitute or anything like that. Um, and something that comes with that, when I was going through my practicum, I had a really amazing teacher. She has to be like considered a master teacher, best teacher I've ever seen. And she would have unit plans in binders, and she'd go through and put Post-it notes on them. And at the end of the unit, any changes she made, she'd go back and she'd retype out the whole thing. Well, now you can have those documents just on Google Drive. And the day that you do something, you can be like, oh, this really worked, or I found this resource. You can put it in. And as I was saying, I teach in this pod system where we teach grade 10, then grade 11, and then we go back to grade 10. So I teach subjects every two years, basically. So I can't remember what I did last week, let alone you know a year ago in social studies. So the fact that you can put it right in your plans right away, and then go back to it and be like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this amazing project, or there was a really cool video for this. Um, so that really comes in handy. Um, once you create something, you have it and you can share it and you can collaborate with it, which is huge. And then the whole creativity. Um, you can do things that you couldn't do before having access to technology. And I'm kind of spoiled at my school because I teach a humanities course and because I teach digital arts, I have access to technology almost every single block of the day. So. Um, it's actually really disappointing when they, like today, they called back all the Chromebooks because they organize them and hand them out to students if we end up going out. And all my stuff's online, all my stuff's on Google Classroom. So it's actually kind of funny that when it's taken away, I'm kind of scrambling, like, now what do I do? I have to do this old school. I have to print something, right? Um, And that's the other thing is I don't have to, you know, camp out at the printers or photocopiers. The only time usually is when I'm teaching 30-level social studies and there's a diploma exam that we have to practice for so I have to, you know, print material for the students. But other than that, I try not to use paper very much to so the whole idea of paperless. And then along with creativity, student engagement, if you can do things more creatively, like even as simple as Cahoots, um, the online, you know, multiple guest platform, um, students get really pumped for them. And there's all sorts, you can do them in teams. Now you can have video clips on them. Um, so just that student engagement piece, whether it's an audio book, a Kahoot, a video clip, um, it's just way better. I can't imagine going back. I remember my grade 10 science teacher. He had the big roll of acetate film on the back of an overhead projector, and he had all his notes written out from, I don't know, 20 years previous, and he literally just rolled to the date. I was like, all right, start copying. Like, how boring would that have been?
1: It was. I remember doing that. It was. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris not aging himself at yeah, all.
0: <laughs> all the way through and just... Uh the fun with uh, overhead and trying to shift it around oh you always need to the their
1: sleeve on it and it, yeah. Oh, and the, te- no. the new
0: teachers are oh wrong way wrong always the wrong way
2: <laughs> left-handed writers smudging it as they yes, go <laughs> Yes,
1: yes <Matt laughs> teachers use the saliva it to me. Oh. one of the one of the key points in all of the things that um, you were saying about you know both the value for students but also the value for teachers is at the core of it, if we can use those digital tools and technological tools effectively and and respectfully and appropriately, makes our lives quite a bit easier from an organization standpoint and and from an engagement standpoint. And to me, that even speaks, because if you have engagement, to me, that helps with management.
2: Oh, absolutely. If students are engaged and if they're interested in what they're doing, then you don't have to manage, you know, kids pulling out cell phones, like you're always going to have that, but hopefully it will be less or, you know, kids off topic. So it is a huge classroom management strategy to keep them excited and engaged. And the other thing with digital is they're used to things changing, like, you know, swiping through TikToks or whatever they're doing nowadays, they want kind of instant feedback, instant gratification. So again, in a classroom, you can change up what you're doing every couple minutes. So you could show a video clip and then you could have them do some discussion or you could use some sort of online platform where they can share their discussion online and students can see um, what other students are talking about and things like that. Or you can do, I've done it before, where you make like one Google doc and you have a bunch of students join in on it and take notes at the same time on the same document. And then they have this collective document that they all worked on. And again, because it's something that their peers are gonna use as well and their peers can see if they're doing, again, it gives them that kind of little nudge to, hey, you should probably be doing this because it's going to benefit everybody. The responsibility component. Mm -hmm. The responsibility, absolutely. And it's also, I learned about, something called appropriate level of anxiety in elementary school. So I used to have like popsicle sticks, really low tech where you could randomly draw anybody's name out of it and ask them a question. So they always kind of had to be prepared. And it's the same kind of thing when you're doing a shared document or something that they know they have to, um, you know, use with other people is there's that little bit of the appropriate level of anxiety, like somebody else is going to see this. I need to, you know, try a little bit harder, um, which is really cool too.
0: So it really is a self-regulating idea as well. Uh,
2: it can be, yes. Yeah. It's
0: amazing. But if we're, like, if we're being completely honest here, you know they're, they're used to things changing. And it's very challenging to, to keep up to date with what's going on in the world of education and technology and staying current with digital resources that are available to teachers. Just a new thing opens up every day almost uh, that is wonderful and amazing and will blow away pedagogy for teachers. So what are some things that can you can suggest that teachers could start tomorrow to infuse their classes with this? And what supports are there to help
2: Absolutely. And even like we're saying some of the technologies I've talked about, they update and change all the time. So it's not even a new technology, but things you're currently using might change. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice be first of all, use what you have. Um, little story that goes along with this is as at an elementary school, and they just started getting the smart boards that you could write on. But they put the smart board in the library, the smart boards that we're using were actually Promethean boards. So they needed an electromagnetic pen to use them, they put the pen in the office. So, you had to sign out the library. Well, first make a lesson to use on it, then sign out the library, then go get the pen from the office. And one thing that I've learned in my many years of working with technology is unless it's seamless, unless you can just pick it up and use it right away, you're not going to use it, right? Everybody's busy enough. We don't want to do that. So, first and foremost, use what you already have available to you. So, again, if you have the Google suite of apps, find something in Google that you can use. If you have the Adobe software, great, use that. Um, next, I'd say think about your own interests, and this isn't even a technology related. If you're you know interested in food, bring food in the classroom, do cooking with your students. It'll blow their minds um, like I did when I was teaching grade six here. Bring in my photography equipment and just introduce them to something different and see kind of the light bulbs go off and, you know, the excitement of something new and using a professional camera with studio lights. Um, inspired, I'm sure, some of those students to go and do it. And again, I've seen them in the high school, so I've seen some of them, you know, take that up. And then the other thing could be try one new thing. So go out of your comfort zone. If you want to, you know, have your students make a video, go and, you know, have a project where you're going to make a Bill Nye-style video or a Rick Mercer rant-style video and, you know, get the resources and ask for help to do that, uh, which leads into, you know, where can we get support for these types of things. First and foremost, I'd say from people in your school, um, teachers are amazing and they all have different abilities and interests. And so there's probably people within your own school who can help you do different projects that you're interested in. And it's as simple as firing out an email and asking, hey, has anybody had experience doing this? I'd really like to try it with my students. And you're probably going to get a flood of emails of people you know, wanting to help out um, a little bit more you know, self-involved is hitting something like YouTube. There's a 10-year-old somewhere in the world that can do anything technology-related better than I can. So often if a student has a question, I'm just like, <laughs> 10-year-old out there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just like, hang on a second. I'm going to go look that up. And I literally will find a YouTube video and then be like, oh, this is how they're doing it. Why don't you give this a try? Um, so YouTube is huge for education. I actually remember in one of the districts I taught and they actually blocked YouTube for a short time. And I was like, why would you do that? Um, and then, you know, us teachers, we you know, usually on the old folks social media. So things like Twitter, there are a ton of hashtags on Twitter. There's one just called EdTech, and you can just throw something out on Twitter and you get people from across the country, across the world who, again, probably have experience in some of these areas. So there is a lot of help out there. I know I'm, you know, one of those people I don't like asking for help. So I know it's difficult. So it's sometimes starting with your peers. Like I know, Mr. Paulson over here does a pretty cool um video project with his students and hands out awards and there's hype about it every year, so you know find those people find those people with the passion, and I'm sure they'd be willing to help you
0: my goodness
1: my oh my goodness. Hey, What's something we can start tomorrow, Ron Scott? Well, here's 400 things you can do. <laughs> I can't, like, but it, you just. What's coming through in this whole conversation is what you keep saying in every single portion of this conversation has been like. Do what you're passionate about, and bring what you're passionate about into your teaching. We can tell you're passionate about this stuff because it 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 just reeks of it in everything you've said. Whether it's the management component, whether it's the trying new things component, whether it's whether it's the actual classroom, there's there's a passion there. But uh, wow, wow, Vito, Chris, Vito, Chris. You, I see. Uh, if you looked at all the Roman numerals and put them on a clock, do you know what time they'd say?
0: The 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 time. It's time
1: for the pulsing points. My goodness, we have special guest Ron Scott on tonight. And I'm, I'm taken back here. Um, this is a gentleman who has really shown a passion for di- digital uh, learning and technology, and really infusing every class, not just tech classes, with that. And I think we've been really lucky to talk to him. And we have the pulsing and points for tonight. Number one, one really passionate teacher can make a massive impact in so many lives. Uh, Number two, ask ourselves this question, especially in terms of, you know, bringing those digital things and those tech things into our classes. How can we make learning easier for our students? We don't need to make it difficult. How can we make it easier? Hey, one of the big ones that I got tonight, respect exists uniquely in every discipline. And that disciplines understanding of respect, something that might be different from another one. But we need to ask ourselves, where does that discipline and how that discipline understands respect of the person fit in the grander scheme of the world? I really liked how you talked about digital citizenship in terms of it's one thing, but it exists in a grander thing. That was really cool to me. Hey, Adding tech and digital components allows students to gain agency in their own learning. Wow. The fifth Poulsen point, it's not about doing everything. This week, it's about trying one new thing. But wait, there's more. Oh, Vito, you know what time it is now. It's the big vibe of the, big vibe of the night. The big vibe. The big vibe. Of the, and I know Vito was vibing tonight. I was so vibing much. tonight. So and much. I, actually, I actually have two big vibes tonight. Ron, you said two things that just blew my mind. I mean, you said a lot of things that blew my mind. But number one, hey, when you do something you enjoy, it doesn't feel like work. So bring yourself and your joy into your classroom. You know, bring your joy in. We we love teaching. Teachers love teaching. Educators love educating. Let's bring that joy. And then this was kind of almost like a throwaway comment, but it made it to the big vibes. If you have big plans, there is nothing wrong with asking, hey, what's the budget on that? and those are the big vibes of the night thank you so much ron scott for coming on the show thank you guys very much for having
0: me this has been awesome this has been wonderful ron thank you so much for being here it just thank you for familiar. making us
1: better teachers
0: yeah seriously full seamlessly everything you said was just uh, just diamonds in the mind so thank you i really appreciate that and thank you for joining us for another episode of the unapologist podcast join us next week when we'll talk with great people learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris, signing off. The
1: Unapologist Podcast